Um, chapter 3, 13 to 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Okay, thanks. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back here. Uh, all right, we've been, uh, we've been looking at James, and um, the phrase I've, I keep saying, and you'll memorize it hopefully, but uh, Martin Luther, um, he said that salvation is by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. Okay, and what he's talking about is that uh, the, the theme of James is that your faith should produce works. Your faith should produce fruit. That just saying, hey, I love Jesus and doing whatever you want is not evidence of a real, saving, authentic faith. And so that's really what James is all about. So we looked at things like rejoicing in trial as an evidence of faith. That when you're going through tough times, what do you do? Do you look to God or do you reject Him? So looking to the Lord in the midst of suffering... Uh, knowing that He's got a plan for you, that He's sanctifying you, you're persevering through it, that you're believing that God, with God there's no random acts, there's no mistakes, that He's sovereign, He's in control. Uh, we've looked at uh, this idea that faith works, that especially um, God wants us to be concerned for the poor. He wants us to be concerned for the widow and the orphan and those who are without. Um, that a faith that works means um, you think about what you say. That your tongue, which is very hard to control, in fact, it said last week that uh, no one can tame it, um, that only the Lord can. Uh, only through His Gospel, only through grace. And so, this is the kind of thing that the Lord wants to do. A faith that works, a faith that has fruit. Uh, lives out the gospel every day. And so, tonight we're looking at this idea of godly wisdom. And uh, what's it mean to have a wise life? What's it mean to um, be a person of wisdom? And really, there's two types of wisdom that the passage deals with. Godly wisdom, or worldly, or earth, earthy wisdom. And um, And so... You know, as you think about this, what does it mean to be truly wise in life? Or what, is, what does that look like? You know, and have you ever met a wise person? Okay. Um, back in the day, I used to watch Kung Fu. Okay, this is like in the 70s. And Grasshopper, like Kung Fu's, you know, master. Uh, he was very wise, I thought. And uh, you might think it's somebody like a Morgan Freeman who just kind of walks around next to you and, you know, whispers seeds of, of wisdom as you, you know, kind of like the in the Shawshank Redemption character, you know, kind of narrating your life, you know, with seeds of wisdom. Um, but we're going to look at the, uh, uh, the biblical idea of wisdom um, tonight. And in the Old Testament, especially in Proverbs, if, if you would just take 
you know, a couple days and just read through the the uh, book of Proverbs, you'll see wisdom again and again and again. Solomon, King Solomon is writing to his son about what it means to be wise. And you remember that Solomon asked the Lord for wisdom and the Lord granted him wisdom. And that whole book is about how to think about life. How to discern what is good, what is evil. But it's not just knowledge, it's not just wisdom as facts, but it's wisdom as in understanding what God wants and walking in His ways. It's not just knowledge. (laughs) It's harder than that. It's much harder. It it means discernment. It means thinking about your life. It means um, uh, struggling with decisions with God in view. It means thinking about what is what is holy and what God's word is. Being a wise person means that um, you know when there's a big decision, instead of just yeah yeah this is what I do. Being wise means seeking God's face. Proverbs three five and six. Anybody know that? Any any memory verses over there? Trust in the Lord. You you know it. What is it? That's right. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Acknowledge Him in all your ways. And He will make your path straight. It's the idea of like you're looking to God. You're not trusting just your knowledge. So this idea of biblical wisdom is huge. And it's hard. And so Proverbs is just all about that. How do you walk through this world in a wise way? And so as you read James, it's similar to Proverbs. And I want to just read... A section in Proverbs before we jump into here, but in Proverbs 2, around verse 6 and forward, here's what Solomon says. He says, For the Lord gives wisdom, from His mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of His saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness. So then you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. You will walk in the way of the good and keep the paths of the righteous. And so wisdom is discerning your life in the, in the face of God, in the light of His truth, and walking like that. And that's what James is getting about here. That it's not just knowledge, not just brute facts, not just having the right answers, not just Sunday school answers. It's living and walking with God in view and with the fear of the Lord. In fact, Proverbs 9.10 says, "...the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight." The fear of the Lord. Does that mean I'm scared of the Lord? I'm running away from the Lord? No, it's the idea of like you're in awe of the Lord. You worship God as who He is. Just like when Isaiah saw God and he was undone by Him because he knew that God was holy and He wasn't. It's the idea that you, you have a big picture of God. You know who He is. He's the God of the Bible. He's the God who, who has come. And so the fear of the Lord is the beginning of the wisdom. It means you look at every aspect of your life, your thought life, what you do on your computer with God in mind. It means God is big. 
God consciousness all the time and seeking His face. It's hard. It involves seeing your sin. It involves repentance. It involves walking with Jesus. It's not easy. But this is the wisdom uh, that, that He gives us. So, alright, so here's, here's what we're going to look at tonight in this passage. <clears throat> Living a wise life means we need to look at these three things. Analysis, action, and seeking help. Okay? So the first thing is, to live a really wise life, James is calling us uh, to analysis. Okay? He's calling us to really have godly wisdom versus worldly wisdom. And so in verse 13, he's asking this question, Who is wise and understanding among you? And then he says this, By his conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So what he's saying is that there's two types of wisdom out there. There's worldly wisdom and there's godly wisdom. And he's asking you to analyze yourself. Who is wise? Uh, it's, a, it's a call for discernment. It's a call to think about your life. To think about who you are and what you do. Um, you know what? Most people don't think about their life until trials hit them. Until something big hits them. Uh, most people, you know, they're just busy. You know, you're going to school, you're a college student, some of you are working, you know, you're, you're bogged down, you're burdened. And um, a lot of times, people don't really think about the big questions of life. Why am I here? You know, until something goes wrong in their life. Maybe their parents, your parents split up. Maybe there's illness. Maybe there's disease. Maybe there's a tragic uh, death in your family. And then when things like that happen, usually people slow down and say, what's it all about? What's going on? Uh, and you start thinking and you start asking big questions. And uh, does anybody know who Ted Leonsis is? He owns the uh, Caps and the, uh, and the Wizards, this guy. Uh, I heard a story um, just this past week about his life. And he's a multi-multi-millionaire. Um, he went to Georgetown. His parents were from uh, like Greek descendants. Um, they only made like $30,000 combined. When he was 26 years old, he had already sold a company for $60 million to, to Reuters, a, a, a journalistic co- company. Okay, When he was 28 years old, he was on a plane. And the captain came on and he said, we got some serious problems. The stewardess, they're going to be preparing you for a crash landing. Apparently the plane was very high up in the air. There was about 20 to 30 minutes from the time of that announcement to the time where they literally thought they were going to have a crash landing. So they were talking about, you know, the pillows, crash landing, you know, all that. It shook him up to the core. He thought this was it. And so he began to, uh, to bargain with God. He started negotiating with God. He promised that if he, if he survived, he would leave more than he took, that he, that he would live a life without regrets. The plane didn't crash. Um, and Leonsis got a second chance on life. That weekend, the weekend after that um, incident on the plane, uh, he, he recalls basically kind of a, a, a moment of reckoning. He sat down and he created a list of 101 things, somewhat like a bucket list. You know, you've seen that movie. These are the things I'm going to do to make my life matter. Okay? Uh, and so he went through and he, uh, 
since then, he's basically been religiously crossing items off the list. And what he said was, let me. he wrote a book called The Business of Happiness. And here's what he said. He promised to reveal six secrets to extraordinary success in life and work. These six secrets are the following. One, making a life list like he did. Two, participating in multiple communities of interest. Three, finding outlets for self-expression. Four, showing gratitude. Five, giving back. Six, finding a higher calling in life. Uh, and then he says, as you can see, making a life list is the first secret to extraordinary success. Leonsis encourages others to think of their life list as their life plan for happiness. Just as you prepare a business plan so that your company succeeds, you create a life list so that you will succeed and have a happy life. So, I mean, I don't totally agree with all this. But I do agree with the fact that he thought hard about his life. <laughs> and in the moment, he began to, to rethink everything. You know, when we come to the Bible, when we encounter God, I mean, that's really what He wants us to do on a daily basis. <laughs> on a moment-by-moment -moment basis. Every time you open the Word, every time you go to church, every, I mean, prayer is really a time to say to God, God, am I, am I living the way I should be living? Am I believing the way I should be believing? You know, typically it takes a plane almost crashing for us to do that, or somebody dying. But that's not the way it's supposed to be. We're supposed to actually think about these things and think about eternal things and think about the God of the Bible all the time. We're actually supposed to walk with God and think about God and commune with God. And so I use that illustration to, th to say to you, like, have you analyzed your life? Like, are you living a wise life? A, a life that's wise in terms of God's wisdom? Or a life that's wise in terms of the world's wisdom? Uh, in Psalm 139, David says, Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me. I love that verse because it's a cry to God to say, Search me. You know me. You know, look at me. Analyze me. Wake me up to who you are. And so, what kind of person are you? So James is calling us to do that. And you might be thinking, well, I'm in college. You know, I'll worry about that question later. You know, that's, that's a question for down the road. I'm young. I'm healthy. You know, everything is going fine. And, and a lot of people think about that. In fact, um, to even ask that question to college students, people might laugh. Um, because a lot of people look at college as this time in your life where you can do anything you want to do. You know, it's, a, it's, it's kind of like a parenthesis where it doesn't matter what you do, you're expected to party, you're expected to experience life, you're expected to, um, you know, basically sow your wild oats. That this is a time for that. A lot of people do that. And that there's no problems. There's like a new movie I keep seeing. Um, previews coming out. It's called Hall Pass or something. And, and I think a lot of people think of college like that. It's like you have a pass to experience, you know, to party, to, to experiment sexually. You can just kind of do anything you want. And, uh, and a lot of people do this. That's how they see college. And then later down the road, I'll worry about God. Or later down the road, I'll worry about these other things. Um, and so... 
The Bible is very realistic, though. <laughs> and it's calling us to discern and to really think about our life right now. And, you know, if you would go down that road um, and you go to college and you, like, pretend it's like a hall pass, I would, I would dare say that, you know, what you see on TV and movies is not actually how it happens or how it works. That when people party a lot, there's, it also leads to addiction. <laughs> it also leads to um, damaging your body. It also leads to um, struggling with depression. And then that also leads to um, when you're, whenever you're suffering, if, you, if, that's your, if that's what you do all through college, if you're drinking or whatever you're doing, um, when you're de- then when you get depressed or when other things happen, you'll tend to go back to those things. It'll tend to be a cycle and a pattern in your life. And so there's nothing wrong with alcohol. The Bible talks about it. God has created it. It's a good gift. But to be wise with it is the question. Can you be wise with it? Can you discern? Sexuality, good gift from God. Wonderful. God has given us that uh, for married people that they would uh, enjoy the good gift that God has given them and to strengthen their marriage and to serve one another. But if that becomes your life before you're married and you pursue that in a way that doesn't honor God, that's going to also create all kinds of struggles, emotional struggles um, with, with people, incredible emotional damage, broken relationships, the inability to love sacrificially, um, to be anything but superficial with people. Um, maybe it's grades and performance. That's where your significance lies. If I can just get a 4.0 or if I can just get into that major. And so what I'm going to do now in my life is just work as hard as I can and I don't really care about people or social things or if you're a Christian, maybe you don't really even care about fellowship. You're just going to give yourself to those things. Um, You know, that's saying something about your spiritual life. It's saying something about what you're pursuing. Um, You know, if you're just pursuing academic clubs all the time and um, maybe your life's out of balance. Wisdom in the Bible is always discerning what is wise, God? What do you want me to do? How can I have balance? How can I love you? How can I love other people? How can I be responsible? It doesn't get easier. Doesn't when you get everybody thinks, oh, if I can just get through college, then things will get easier. Right now you have the most time you'll ever have in your life. I know that's hard to think about, but this is the you have the most time right now. Because most of you, when you get out, you'll get married, you'll have kids. I mean, things are going to be crazy. Okay? So, I haven't even got to the text yet. But wisdom is its like a diamond. I mean, there's so many facets of our life. How do we discern? Okay, so he says this. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. What is it? It's doing the right thing. Okay, it's it's living a godly life. And so Jesus summed it up in the Ten Commandments. He, he talked about loving God and loving your neighbor. So how do you know if you're being wise? 
Let him show it by his good conduct. By pursuing God. By doing good. By obeying the commandments. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey, obey my commandments. But it's not just outward, but it has humility underneath of it. He says, in the meekness of wisdom. Meekness is the idea of gentleness, humility. Um, it's one thing to do a good work on the outside, but inside you can be you know, fake. And so, true godly wisdom means like you're also humble about it. And you, you uh, are seeking... Um, you're lowly of heart, so to speak. You're not just trying to do things for show. Meekness is exemplified in all kinds of biblical characters. Abraham, Moses, David. But especially in the Lord Jesus. And it, and it displays this fruit. Godly wisdom is pure. This is verse 17, the end of the passage. Peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits. And so, it's about godly life. On the contrast, he says, this is what worldly wisdom is. Okay, So this is the analysis. Do you see those godly things in your life? Do you see that almost fruit of the Spirit list in your life? Pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial and sincere? Or do you see bitter jealousy and selfish ambition? Look at verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast. Be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder every vile practice. So, do you see that in your life? Do you see bitter jealousy coming out when you don't get what you want? Do you see a heart that is just um, selfish? Um... Martin Luther called our sinful hearts, he called it the inward bent, that everything about ourselves is about ourselves. You know, that's really what sin is. It's all about me. I mean, ultimately, the reason Adam and Eve said no, uh, to, or ate the fruit, was because they were saying no to God, and they were saying, I want to be God. We don't need to listen to you. We just listen to ourselves. We can do what we want. We want God out of the picture. And so... That is selfish ambition. Um, do you see that in your life? Is bitter jealousy there? Uh, what happens when somebody succeeds and maybe you don't? Do you, do you just burn inside? Or are you full of praise like encouragement when somebody, a friend, succeeds? How do you act? What's going on in your heart? Um... It says that what will happen is when a person is like this, there will be discord in every vile practice. There, you know, when, when you see your life is just a mess. Um, I was talking with a student the other day, and he was struggling with his roommates. And he was struggling um, to the point where they were pushing his buttons. They knew exactly where to push his buttons. You know, and it was just making him crazy. It was making him um, just really get angry and not be a good friend to them. And uh, those are the type of things that we all struggle with. You know, um, people like to push buttons. 
How do we relate? How do we react? Um, And so, in the midst of that, do you see the fruit of the Spirit coming out of your life? The fruit of wisdom? Um, Or do you see discord, jealousy, argument, anger? Um, Are you able to in the midst of like when you feel like you're being persecuted by other people, like love them and try to serve them and be gracious to them? Um, do people feel like you're a person that they can talk to? Or do you always have something to say and you never shut up? Like, are you an approachable person? People like to talk with you? Or are you a person that is hard to talk to? I mean, this is all related to what it means to walk with God and have godly wisdom. In the meekness of humility, a humble person is a easy person to talk to. They don't have a lot of pride or airs about them. Is that you? We can't do this on ourselves. We're going to get there. Okay, so the wise life is a call for analysis. Where are you in this? Do you see the worldly wisdom side of you more? Or do you see the godly wisdom um, what's going on? Are you aware of your heart? Are you seeking to be exposed by God and His Word? But it's more than analysis. It's a call to action. Okay, And I'm going to repeat some things here. But this is the idea of Proverbs. That wisdom is not just knowledge, not just facts, not just sitting back, you know, stroking your chin and giving Sunday school answers. But it's an obedient, righteous life. Um, it manifests itself in real evidence. And so, he says this, his good conduct, let him show it by meekness. Um, Doug Moo, commentator, he says, in this, James is true to the Old Testament conception of wisdom as a way of life. The attitude and conduct typical of a godly person. And so, it's more than words. It's action. It's peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits. But again, it's also internal. Meekness and wisdom is all about a heart that's been humbled. And so it's not just outside, but it's inside. Um, how do you know if you're displaying that? So just like faith, which, which talks about uh, there must be deeds, with wisdom, with godly wisdom, there also must be Deeds of wisdom, deeds of good good works that are displayed, and so James he calls us for an analysis of wisdom. He calls us for an analysis of life, and then he goes on to talk about the real source of wisdom. How do we get it? How do we get it? How do we love that roommate that just pushes our buttons, and it's so hard to love them? <clears throat> Or maybe someone in our family that that does the same thing. How do we love them? And this is really going back again to the Gospel. Um, And this passage brings that out. Because ultimately it's saying that you need wisdom, not from yourself, but wisdom from above. And really, this is what the Gospel is all about. It's the good news that God gives us His Son He gives us His wisdom and He allows us then to be able to go out and to live out uh, the Gospel of wisdom in front of people. 
And so he says in 15, this is not the wisdom that comes down from, or this is not the wisdom that comes down from above in terms of the worldly wisdom, but it's earth, earthy, unspiritual, demonic. And so in contrast, he's saying that there's an evil, earthy wisdom, and then there's a wisdom from above. In verse 17, he says it, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason. He repeats that theme going way back into chapter 1 of James. He says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. The point here is we can't work up wisdom. We can't work up good fruit ourselves. We can't work harder and just say, I'm going to read my Bible more, I'm going to have more education, I'm going to have more knowledge, and then all of a sudden I'll just be wise. He's saying you need to depend and you need to ask. And it's only through the Holy Spirit, only through really the Gospel and what Jesus has done where you're going to have the power to have wisdom and you're going to be given this wisdom. And so, having wisdom from above, what does it look like? It looks pure. It looks like purity. It looks like holiness. Um, It looks like seeking God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. All the time. Can you do that? It means putting away immorality. Sexual immorality of thought. All the time. Again, it's a standard that we can't reach. We can't reach godly wisdom ourselves. We're sinners. We're selfish. It says it must. we must be peaceable. Do we have the ability to always be at peace? Are we peacemakers? Or do we just kind of... When there's an argument, do we just up the ante? Okay? It says we must be open to reason. Are we the type of person when somebody critiques us that we like, thank you so much for that critique. I really appreciate that. I need that. Please tell me. Give me more. Or are we like, I can't believe that person just said that. And we're thinking about it all the time. It says we're to be open to reason. That we're like, yes, please tell me. Help me. We're supposed to be full of mercy. This means that we continually look out for other people and give to them. What's going on here? These things don't come by ourselves. We can't be. This is just like the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22. You know, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Did I miss one? But, what? Goodness? Somebody? Anyway, but it's the idea that it's the fruit of the Spirit that gives you these things. But here's the, here's the beauty. In the Gospel, in the good news, we have someone who was wisdom Himself. Okay, the Lord Jesus. Who came from above. He demonstrated what true wisdom was all through the Gospels. He shows us what it means to walk humbly. He was a man of sorrows. He was approachable. He was peaceable. He was totally pure. He was gentle. He was meek. He was full of mercy. He was full of good fruits. And everything, all the time, to the point of them crucifying Him on the cross. And He didn't open His mouth. You see, that is the wisdom of God displayed for us in the Gospel, and that is the very 
wisdom that He gives us by His grace. And so, if you're feeling like, man, I'm just, I don't have any wisdom, godly wisdom. I'm feeling totally far from God. That's actually a good place to be in because there's one who came and died for you. The Gospel says I'm a bigger sinner than I thought. And at the same time, Jesus loves me more than I can imagine. And He did that to give you wisdom. To give you eternal life. And part of that is He's giving you godly wisdom and power from above. And James 1.5 again says, what do we need to do? We just ask. And that's the Gospel. The Gospel is all about saying, I am totally bankrupt when it comes to wisdom and what to do with my life or how to treat people or how to love people or how to walk pure. I'm totally... I can't do anything. I need you. I need Jesus. I need what you, I need your wisdom to help me. That's what it means to walk with God. It's a cry of the heart. It's saying, I'm bankrupt. I can't do it. It sounds ridiculous. Everybody else is going to say, no, you can do things. Here, make a list. Ted Leonsis, make a list. 101 things I'm going to do before I die. I can do it. can't do it. You're not going to find ultimate happiness in some artificial list. I mean, it's good to like map out your days. I'm not saying that it's totally bad, but but ultimately, happiness doesn't come as a result of like checking off your list. Happiness comes by enjoying your God and Savior. Happiness comes when you give yourself to the Lord and you understand He has died on the cross for you. He loves you. You're His son and daughter. And He has given Himself to you so that you can live for Him. You can glorify Him with your life. Um, John Piper says, you know, God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in Him. Okay? That happiness is just a byproduct of being satisfied in God. It might mean that in your life, God is going to be pleased to really give you a hard life, a trials. But He is going to be sufficient for the day. He's going to be sufficient for the day, even if you can't complete any of your list, that you had your bucket list or whatever it is. That He's good. He's wonderful. And He's going to give you everything you need in this life. And it's free. You just ask. Let me pray. Lord, thanks thanks for tonight. Thank You for the wisdom of Jesus. That He is the definition, the example, the illustration of wisdom. That He is wisdom. Lord, we need Your wisdom as we walk through life, as we're here at college, as we are tempted, as we uh, go through struggles in relationships with roommates, with family, with boyfriend and girlfriend. Jesus, we need Your wisdom. We need to be filled with You and Your power and Your strength and to, and to, to have You as our uh, ultimate joy in this journey that You've put us on. Thank You that You freely give it. May we ask You for it. In Jesus' name, Amen.